Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. This evening, uh, we dive into a section of James where we're actually going to be for the next two weeks. We weren't going to be there for the, for the next two weeks. We thought we'd knock it out in one until Brother Danny and Charles said they were out back giving me an inspiration about their tongues with the, with the amount of talking they were doing. I said, well, it'll take us two weeks to cover all this, I do believe. But uh, all jokes aside, we will be on this subject for two weeks. Uh, we'll be in these 12 verses for the next two weeks. Um, and I'm fully aware that here tonight in the, in the house of the Lord, on a Sunday evening, on fall break, when there are any number of excuses why you wouldn't be here this evening, those of you who have chosen to come out and worship tonight surely have no problem with controlling your tongues and only speaking positive things. I'm sure that I'm going to be preaching to the choir this evening, but I'm just going to ask you to kind of to stay with me. As we journey through tonight, we're going to take a small section of this text, and then at the end of service, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, it's kind of an illustration, and, and really because, quite frankly, I think we need it uh, as a church. So we're going to I give you something to look forward to so you'll stay awake uh, for the first part. But let's remember to this point, kind of the overall theme that we're looking at here in James, and that is, that is faith in action. So how does our faith look in action? He's writing to the scattered and persecuted believers, and this, these are the ways a believer will look and act and think. These are the things a believer will do if you know Christ, if you're saved, you'll do these things. He keeps beating the same drum over and over and over again. This is what true faith looks like. And he's writing this and he's telling us these things that we might examine our faith. That those he was, those who he, he wrote it to, he said, listen, I want you to look at yourself, ask yourself, are you doing these things? And if you are not doing these things, you need to examine yourself and ask yourself, why am I not doing these things? If this is the way true faith is supposed to look and I'm not doing these things, why? Is it because I've gotten far away from what I know I'm supposed to be doing, or is there something with my faith? That is the question that James is begging us to ask ourselves. We first looked at our attitude in our trials and temptations. We looked at our attitude in regards to money. We looked at our attitude towards one another and that we wouldn't show partiality to anyone. We looked at how to respond to the Word of God. When the Word of God is, is opened up to us and the Word of God is revealed to us and it's contrary to what we are thinking, do we respond with humility and change or do we respond with pride and anger and puff up and refuse to hear the Word of God? We looked at the mindset over the last two weeks that a dead faith that produces no change and there is a living faith that brings the unrighteous into righteousness. And how that a living faith will always result in a change. In other words, coming in contact with Jesus Christ will always, 100% of the time without fail, bring about a change in a person's life. You cannot be the same after you've met Jesus as you were before you met Jesus. And if nothing changes, your faith is not a true, repentant, living faith. 
because Jesus always causes a change. So please stand this evening as we dive into James chapter 3, and we'll read this whole text, the first 12 verses, and then we'll kind of back up and start in verse 1. But he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word... He's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings. And cursings. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? And can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let us pray. Father God, we pray this evening that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your holy word, Lord God. God, we pray that nothing we say tonight would be in error. And that everything we do tonight would glorify you, Lord God. God, we thank you for what you've already done in your house today, Lord God. And we thank you for what you're about to do in your house this evening, Lord. It's in your precious name that we pray and all of God's people said. And you may be seated. The tongue, the terrible tongue or the blessing of words. Kind of the theme, that's why we read the whole text, is kind of get an an overall theme. And kind of the overall idea in this text, and you see it a few places in there, is this. With your tongue, you have the ability to both speak blessings and curses. With your tongue, you have the ability to build up and to tear down. With your tongue, with your words, you have the ability to praise God and curse men, even though those men are made in the image of God. With your mouth, you possess such a great power. In fact, Scripture says that there is life and death in the power of the tongue. And so this whole kind of section, these 12 verses, James really dives into it and really focuses and hones in on the tongue and recognizes some important things about the tongue. And we're going to look at just the first couple. Let's back up to verse 1 for just a second. It says, my brothers, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And he's using this wording. He's saying, let not many of you become teachers. That's where he kind of opens up. But surely, James isn't trying to tell us that that we shouldn't teach. Surely he's not trying to say, hey, you, you shouldn't teach the word of God because that really wouldn't line up with the ideal of what I would call the sum of Scripture. So if you look at the entirety of Scripture, it doesn't say, hey, don't teach the Word of God or leave the teaching of the Word of God to somebody else. That's completely contrary. The Word of God would more insist that we would share the gospel, that we would teach the Word of God, that we would go out and talk about Jesus with others. Not that we would wait on somebody else to do it. 
And so what is James really saying? What, what does it mean when he says, hey, don't let many of you become teachers? Surely he's not saying that we shouldn't teach. And so what I want us to do is kind of back up and look at it in context just a little bit. Back in those days, what would have been popular is something that, uh, that I'm sure most of you have been a part of in your lives. How many people have ever been to one of those, what we call the good old-fashioned testimony services? Anybody ever been a part of that? Two of you, praise God. All right. I've been a part of many good old-fashioned testimony services. And I've been a part of some testimony services where everybody in the congregation left in tears because of what was bared out in that time. I've been a part of some really special testimony services, but do you know what else I've been a part of? I've been a part of some not-so-special testimony services where somebody got up and sought to puff up themselves instead of following what God had ordained. Somebody stood up and wanted to show how smart they were or how intelligent they were or maybe how bad they had it or, or any number of other things. Instead of getting up and doing what God called them to do. This was popular. You think that's something that, that the Baptists in the 21st century adopted? You're crazy. This was popular way back in the times of James too. People would just pop up and start teaching and start doing these things. And so I think that's part of why James is writing. He's like, listen, you got to be careful what you do when addressing the people in the house of the Lord. you got to be careful what you do when you throw God's name out there first. When you say, thus saith the Lord, you better make sure, thus saith the Lord, and not thus beeth my opinion. Thus saith the Lord. And so he's saying, be careful what you do. The struggle in teaching the word of God is this. Your attitude has got to be in the right place. And I want to make sure, because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying you got to be a Bible scholar to teach the Bible. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you got to go to a seminary school to teach a Sunday school class. I'm not saying that you need to read uh, Spurgeon and Zodiades and MacArthur and all of these. You don't need to study them all week long to be able to stand up and teach the Word of God. But what you better have is an attitude that is correct when presenting the Word of God. And that is an attitude that what you wish to accomplish is magnifying Jesus Christ and not yourself. That's what's important when it comes to teaching. That's what James is talking about. And don't let many of you become teachers because your tongue can speak of your heart and if your heart is full of pride, then it's going to come out in your teaching. Your tongue says what your heart is thinking, your heart's puffing yourself up and you start to build yourself up and you start to put yourself on display and suddenly Jesus Christ is not in the spotlight. And my friends, Jesus Christ is always deserving of the spotlight. He is always the one that should get all the glory for everything that's ever done. People still today, pastors, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, lay people at their workplace, everywhere, so many people decide to teach or lead something not because they want to show how magnificent God is, but they want to show how intelligent or holy that they are. All the time it happens. People say, yeah, I, I, want, to, I want to teach that class because so-and-so teaches a class and I'm just as smart as he is. People say that all the time here about Brother Charles. They say, if he can teach, I can teach. I was just kidding. Brother Charles does a phenomenal job. But 
People say that all the time, though, in churches. They do. They, they look and they go, so-and-so's doing it. I'm just as smart as he is. Look how many people talk about what a good teacher he is. I can, I can do that. I'm just as smart. And if you're not careful, that fine line between let God use me and let me show off starts to get blurred just a little bit. It starts to get blurred just a little bit. And so what James is really trying to show us here is that your attitude when it comes to teaching the Word of God has got to come correct. You have got to look to put Jesus Christ on display. Because, my friends, anything that you do that doesn't put Jesus in the spotlight is filthy rags. No matter how smart you are. You can... You can discern 15 Greek participles in nine tenses of the way they're mentioned and call back to their Hebrew origination. But if it don't put Jesus Christ on display, it was a waste of time. You was just babbling. But put Jesus Christ on display with your best effort, and God can use that 100% of the time. He doesn't need your intelligence. He's got the Holy Spirit to go and convict. He needs your willingness And he needs your attitude to be of service to him. But James doesn't even stop there. He doesn't just, note, he doesn't just say, be careful in how you teach, because if you don't teach correctly, you might lead people astray. He doesn't say, be careful in how you teach, because if you don't teach correctly, people will learn the wrong thing. He doesn't say, be careful when you teach, because if you do it with the wrong attitude, you may may miss your mark personally. He says, be careful how you teach. Because teachers will receive a stricter judgment. God is watching those who stand and teach his word. And he is expecting those who teach to do it with a proper attitude. I am quite convinced that there are a number of pastors that I know that no longer are pastoring churches because they quit preaching to magnify Jesus And started preaching to magnify themselves. And I firmly believe that God will not watch that go on very long before he removes that teacher from that place. There's a stricter judgment. And so what do we learn from this today? What what, what do we take from this? We need to take from this. Sunday school teacher, deacon, pastor... Whoever you are, whomever you are, you are called to teach the Word of God. If you are a blood-bought child of God, you are taught to proclaim the Word of God. But you have to make sure that your attitude is correct. That when you present it, if you're a Sunday school teacher, there is no excuse for ever striding into a Sunday school class without having prepared to teach what you're about to teach. If you're getting ready to teach your class without having prepared what you're about to teach, you'd be better off to sit at the front of the class and say, we're going to pray today. Because I'm not prepared to teach the Word of God. I'm not saying that there's never a week where you didn't have time to put the same amount that you did on another week. But if you don't know what you're getting ready to teach, you're better off not to teach it. Because God said you're held to a higher standard and you ought to take this serious. And if you're taking this serious, you'll put in the time, you'll put in the effort. If your attitude is to magnify Jesus, you will want to make sure. You'll want to make sure you're doing it correctly. So so for teachers, you're held to a stricter judgment. Come with the right attitude as you teach to glorify Jesus. But then James, he broadens the topic a little bit in verse 2. For we all stumble 
than many things. So he starts hammering the teachers. Hey, watch how you teach the Word of God. And then he goes out broader so that those who aren't teachers couldn't think that they were out of this conversation. He said, hey, we all stumble in many things. He brings everybody into the loop right there. We, we fall short of God's will. We fall short of God's plan for our lives. And really, that doesn't seem like all that mind-blowing a statement, does it? We fall short of the glory of God. You're right, Pastor. We all knew that. Good, good writing, James. We all got that. We all understand that we're sinners. But he gets a little more specific. He gets more specifically geared towards our tongues when he says, he says, For we all stumble in many things, but if anyone doesn't stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole Body And so what does that mean? He, he, said we all, he, he said we all stumble, but then he said, if you control your tongue, you can be a perfect man. So which is it? Do we stumble? Or, or if we bridle our tongue, can we learn to, to walk in obedience? It's yes, okay? What James understood and what he's writing is that the tongue and the words that you speak, the things that you say are a reflection of your heart. Out of your mouth comes the reflection of your heart most of the time. And so you say, well, why doesn't James focus on the heart? Why didn't he focus on the heart of man? We all understand that that's where the corruption is. That's where the defilement is. It's what's on the inside of the man. Why is he focusing on this extremity of the tongue? He's focusing there because the fact is what we say reveals the condition of our heart. He doesn't have to ask about the condition of our heart because he can look at the things we're saying and know the condition of our heart. Sometimes we can be hypocritical. Don't forget what we talked a few weeks ago and we can deceive man. But what comes out of our mouth is generally a reflection of our heart. The Bible refers either directly or indirectly, listen to this, to a wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, Tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a vile tongue. And did you know that that's only about half of the specific mentions of something about the tongue in the Bible? I only put about half of them in here. Corrupt, bitter, angry, crafty, deceitful, lying, perverse. Does that describe anybody at any point in their life? You ever been angry with your tongue? You ever been perverse with your tongue? Vile with your tongue? Crafty? You ever deceived with your tongue? With all of those opportunities to slip, is it any wonder that God caged our tongue in with teeth? Some of you will get that later. Most of the examples of our sin manifest themselves with our tongues. You know the easiest way to sin is with your tongue? The easiest way to sin is with your tongue. Why? Because there is no restraint to what you say. There's nothing that stops you from saying whatever pops into your little mind whenever it pops into your little mind. Most of you didn't need me to tell you that. My wife calls it my filter. She says my filter gets clogged up and I pop off with whatever I think of whenever I think of it. Physical sin, there's a limit, isn't there? Sometimes there are limitations. Maybe I want to rob a bank and I can't get there. 
Maybe I want to commit murder and I don't have a gun. Maybe I want to do this and I, I, don't, I don't have the ability to do it. Or, or maybe I want to commit a sin. I decide I want to commit a sin and there's some physical constraint, something that keeps me from being able to do it. But when it comes to the sin of my tongue, there is nothing that ever can stop me from just saying whatever comes into my mouth. We let it fly whenever we feel. And then James gives us two examples. He gives us two examples. He says first about horses. So we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and turn their whole body. So James is using this example. And I realize that we're in a, a rural, rural, I hate that word, a country church. And most of you understand what a horse is. Anybody that doesn't know what a horse is? All right, good. So you got these big old horses. Now listen, I'm not a horse guy. I don't ride a horse because I can't find the off button. But you got these big old horses. And you look at these big old horses and you know at their, at their very core, a horse is a wild animal. Now maybe you, the ones you've been around have been tamed. But at the very core of a horse, it is a wild animal meant to gallop and run and, and, and frolic and do whatever a horse does. Okay, But it's meant to be a wild animal. And it's bigger than people most of the time. These horses are way up here. You got to get somebody to help you jump on the thing to begin with. I just don't like them. But you got these big old horses. And how do you steer a big old horse? And I didn't, I didn't know this until I looked into horse riding a little bit. You, you put that bit in its mouth. But did you know it's not just the bit in the mouth? It's, it's got to lay on the tongue in order to control that horse. The pressure that's put as it pivots across that tongue. And, and you pull that tongue this way and that horse is going to go this way. And you pull it this way and that horse, he may not like it, but he's going to go this way. If you put me on the horse, he's going to lay down tired. But you put the bit in the horse's mouth and you direct the whole body with that little bitty piece of metal that's that long. You direct this whole horse, not by beating him, not by punching him, but by controlling his tongue. And then he uses the example of a ship. And I couldn't help but think when I was studying this week, you know, last year, my wife and I went on a cruise ship. Any of you have never been on a cruise, let me just tell you that a cruise ship is a city on the ocean. I mean, this thing is humongous. There's 15 restaurants, 10,000 people, 11 swimming pools, 27 decks, a putt-putt golf course up top, a volleyball court, a basket. I mean, this is a city on the ocean. But do you know how that that ship, as big as it is, turns? By the tiny rudders that are down in the water. As they turn, the whole ship turns according to those tiny rudders. And so James uses those examples. He says, now all of those, the ships and the, and the horses, they're turned by those tiny pieces. Likewise, your body, your body, if you could learn to control your tongue, you could learn to control your whole body. He's understanding from back in verse 2 that we all stumble in many things. Can everybody attest to that? We stumble in many things. Gosh, I, I stumbled in more than one place today. And I went to church this morning and still stumbled today in more than one area of my life. I stumbled in areas I don't even remember today, I'm sure. And so we start to look at that and we say, we all stumble in many ways. Yet, 
I want to be obedient to Christ. I do. I really do. I want to do the things that I'm supposed to do. Uh, as hard as it is, the way that, like the Apostle Paul said, I struggle to do what I know I'm supposed to do. I do what I know I don't want to do. My sin nature wins out. The world inside of me, the flesh inside of me comes out. I don't want it to, but it happens. And so I look back and I say, I want to be obedient to God, but I miss on so many ways. And if we're not careful because we stumble in so many ways, we look at it and we get overwhelmed. I say, oh my goodness. My desk has gotten to be a mess. I went to clean it the other day and about 10 minutes into it, I prayed that God would give me something to study. Because I got overwhelmed with all the mess that was on my desk. But my wife came over and you know what she said? Let's focus on these papers and then we'll focus on this stuff. And then she said, I'll come clean it Monday. Bless her heart. What James is calling us to do is say, don't, don't look at the jumbled mess and say, I can't do it, I'm overwhelmed. I stumble in so many areas, there's no way that I can be obedient to God. There's, there's just no way. I stumble. I stumble in so many areas, I can't fix them all. Something's wrong with me. James says, focus on your tongue. Back up. Don't look at the whole jumbled mess. You focus on your tongue because if you will tame that tongue, if you will start to work on that tongue, your body is going to start to follow that direction and some of that jumbled mess is going to go away. Stop looking at all your failures and your disobedience and control that one thing. Control your tongue and it will steer the rest of you. Control your tongue. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? That's easy to say, hard to do, right? We start to focus on what we're saying. Start to think before you say it. This is not a, a biblical proverb, but it's just good common sense. God gave you two ears and one mouth. He expects you to listen twice as long as you talk. You'll catch that later too. Start to focus on what you're saying and make what you're saying be things that glorify God. If what I'm about to say doesn't bring glory to God, do I need to say it? If it's not building somebody up, if it's not speaking life into somebody's life, if it's not speaking love into somebody's situation, if it's tearing somebody down, do I need to say that? What do I accomplish by tearing someone down? Make me feel better? That's prideful and arrogant that your feelings should be more important, that you should be able to say whatever you're thinking, whenever you're thinking. Control your tongue. Begin to ask yourself, what does this do to glorify God? Because it comes back down to it. We were made to glorify God. So if it doesn't glorify God, I probably shouldn't say it. And again, I'm not saying when your wife asks you what to eat tonight, you should necessarily wonder if it glorifies God, but maybe you should. If you're about to say, I don't want to eat that old nasty burnt chicken you made the other day, you don't need to say that. You need to feed it to the dog and move on. So tonight... We're going, to, we're going to take this opportunity as we close. We're going, to, we're going to stop there for tonight. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. 
Thank you and have a blessed day.